0: Well, let me remind you of uh, where we are in uh, the series that we are doing. Um, we've been talking about and doing the series, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, uh, which is from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. And uh, Mark Green has written a book called Fruitfulness on the Front Line and a study uh, guide for life groups as well. So our life groups are going through uh, Fruitfulness on the Front Line as, as groups as well. I really encourage you, this is about how we live out our life with Jesus. All the other time when we're not gathered together like this, we spend more time, much more time, as the church scattered than we do as the church gathered. So most of your time following Jesus is not spent in here with each other, it's spent in in workplaces, in families, in homes, in your social life, in recreation. Uh, in your neighborhoods and communities. Uh, I, I added another one in because a lot of us spend too much time on social media and online, but we all have a kind of, most of us have a social media or online presence. These are the places where we live as followers of Jesus. And this is a great, book, I encourage you, if, uh, if you can, get, get a hold of this book and read it. It's an inspiring read, but it's a challenging and informative read of how we live out our faith as the people of God. And so really, these are the places that we are talking about. We love when we gather together. We do. It's beautiful. We love when we worship, but we're always being sent out as followers of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the ways we live when we're not gathered together that really make the difference in the world that we live in. And so we've been talking about how, uh, how does God bring fruitfulness, and how do we see fruitfulness on our front lines, and how will God empower us and help us to do so? And one of the ways in which uh, we've been thinking about, and we're thinking about this morning, is that God wants us to be people who mold culture, who mold culture, Now, I'm going to say a little bit more about this in a minute. What does it mean to mold culture? And I don't just mean the wider culture, but every place where we are will have a culture that is being shaped and molded. And the people who are there are responsible for that molding of the culture. And so we're going to be asking, well, what what would a (laughs) Jesus-molded, Jesus-shaped culture look like? And how do we do that? So let's go to uh, scripture reading this morning from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 17. And uh, just to let you know, this series that we're doing is is hook, line, and sinker nicked. Well, not nicked, because they say, please use this material uh, as much as you can. So LICC, who produce all this material, said, this is is for you. you. You buy the stuff and you deliver it. And I want to encourage you to go to the website, LICC.org.uk, and you can find more stuff about what we're talking about this morning. Anyway, back to the scriptures. Matthew 5, Jesus on the mount, giving uh, the Sermon on the Mount to those who are listening. He says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For three years, I worked with the Nazarene denomination in Northern Europe. And I got to visit all kinds of places and and go across, not just Europe, but uh, Asia as well, traveling to different places. And what I discovered is that everyone, well, because I'm from the UK, uh, I can only speak English, and so everyone was very gracious, and they all spoke English in spite of the fact that they spoke other languages. But everyone speaks with an accent. Now, not everyone understands this. Uh, There are some people who think that everyone else has an accent. Uh, They don't have an accent, but everyone else has an accent. So, you know, I have a Glaswegian accent, uh, or I'm from Glasgow, but it's everyone else who has an accent. Well, of course, we all have an accent. So, you all who are from Perth, I don't know why you knew this, you have a Perthshire accent. Did you know that? So, it's not that everybody else has an accent and you speak correctly just that you have a form that is an accent. Well, similarly, all of us have a culture, and we may have multiple different cultures in which we operate. We have the wider culture of the place that we live or we operate in, in Scotland, or in a city, or in a village. They have cultures as well. Everyone has a culture. And all kinds of things mold and make and shape that culture. And the question we're asking this morning is, how can we influence the culture on and of our front lines? We're shaped by a place, by a country that we're brought up in, or we're shaped by the mix of places that we operate in, but we also shape them we contribute to what they are like. And the way of doing things in each of those places becomes very normal. And sometimes we don't realize it until we go to another culture. And then we realize that they do things differently. We are both shaped by our culture, but we're also shapers of our culture. I've had a few embarrassing moments in other places when I've gone to other cultures, and I I, I like to think I'm a learner. And so when I go somewhere, I like to ask people, normally it's in the church, uh, because that's where I'm connecting with people, what I need to learn, and I'm watching. So I went to Switzerland uh, a couple of years ago, and when I was in some uh, meetings with the, the church there, I was kind of watching to see how people greet each other, and so, the way people greet each other, Fred, if you'd like to, to stand up, is I was watching it in the church. So, everybody who came in, they would come over and they would put their hands on their shoulders and they would go, mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, great. So, so I, I, so I, please be seated. So, um, so, so I thought, great. And just to confirm, I said to the woman who was kind of overseeing all this, I said, um, what, is this the proper way to greet one another and she said absolutely and she did the same to me as, as I had done to Fred I thought great so so I went to a hotel for a coffee <laughs> and uh, the waitress came in and uh, <laughs> the waitress came in and uh, we, I ordered my coffee and uh, I was the only person in the hotel and, uh, and we, we, we had a, a conversation that was going very well. And, uh, and, and so I d- drank my coffee, had my cake. And then I, I got up and I, I remembered that they also say goodbye to each other in the same way. So I, was, I knew that I was due to meet the guy who was picking me up out in the car park. So I, I got up and I, I paid my bill and I was about to walk out and, and the girl who served me came out to say goodbye. Well, I, I thought to myself, I'll just say goodbye the way the Swiss say goodbye, and went up. And just as the guy who was picking me up coming in the door, uh, he came in. I grabbed Asgerald by both arms and kissed her to the left, then to the right, then to the left again. <laughs> At which point I then turned around and the guy says to me, do you know her? He <laughs> said, I'd never met her in my life before. <laughs> Is said, what you kissing her for then? <laughs> Cultures are very different, and we are shaped by the ones that we live in, whether they're good or bad. And sometimes it's not till you go to another place that you realize that people do things differently. There's a culture about following Jesus that's called the kingdom of God that is different from every other culture. It's when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth and heaven. What are we doing? We're inviting God to come and establish his culture on earth as it is in heaven. And it's different in many ways to the way in which most cultures operate. But he calls his people, the people of God, to be the ones who in the various places they are will represent and live out this kingdom culture in a way that also molds the culture on our front lines in the places we are from day to day and week to week. Not just in the church when we gather together, but when we are week to week, day to day in the places that we work. For better or for worse, All of us are contributing in some way to the cultures that you are part of. You might be contributing to it by affirming it. You just go along with what everyone else does. You might be developing it for better, for worse. You might be challenging it or changing it by doing something Sometimes we shape our cultures by not doing something. But we all contribute to the culture we're part of and the cultures we're part of in our front line. And while we might be part of a wider societal culture, there's also these micro-cultures that we're part of. In Mark Green's book, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, um, he says this, Quoting Archbishop Derek Warlock, culture is the way we do things around here. Every family has a culture, every community, every workplace, every team, every church, every home group, every front line, a way of doing things around here. Some of it good, some of it not so good. Some of it downright destructive. And God through his people wants us by the spirit to mold cultures that represent more of his shalom kingdom. Now, how many times have we said that over the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, that God's mission in the world is to bring about his good shalom rule, his good shalom kingdom, because it brings fruitfulness and blessing to life and to lives. And so culture, if you put it in your own life, is the way we do things in our family, the way we do things in our workplace, the way we do things in our neighborhood, the way we do things with our neighbors, or in our social life, or in our recreational life. The way we do things. And in the passage that Jesus, um, that we read about, Jesus is starting to unpack who we are as God's people and the way we should do things round here, wherever we are. The way we do things. And over the last few months, we've been talking about this shalom reign of God, this kingdom of God culture, which is to be entered and embraced and expressed in our lives and in the way we live. A culture that demonstrates the beauty and peace of God's shalom reign. A Jesus culture. This is who we are, we're God's people. So that wherever we are, whatever front line we're on, at any time, we bring something of the kingdom of God culture. That's been God's plan throughout scripture. So if you go into the Old Testament, God called his people to represent his plans and purposes for the whole world. Wrapped up in this shalom reign of God, That was to be their identity. That was their purpose. This was who they were. This is how they were to live. They were to see themselves differently from those around them, but they were to be a light in that place. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. In the Old Testament, the law and the prophets Uh, Jesus talks in this verse, these verses in in Matthew 5, about fulfilling the law and the prophets. Well, what what does that even mean? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament law was given, and we read about the prophets, and they were given to the people of God, and the content of them was laws and rules that would help them to live. And to represent God's shalom reign. His ways of doing things. And so if you go to Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy in particular. You'll read about the law that God gave his people. And what's interesting about the law is. The content and the purpose of the law. Is to give direction and shape to how people live. In every part of their life. So even the Ten Commandments. They're not given for a people to live out when they're gathered together. They're given so that people will know how to live when they're out in society, in their front lines. So there are laws on relationships. There are laws on social life, on our connection with others. There are laws on family and home life and caring for those who don't have family. There's laws on how we live and treat our neighbors and the community around us. There's laws on farming, there's laws on business, commercial life, how we transact business, how we do it fairly, how we look after people in our business lives. There's laws on caring for the excluded, for those who are in poverty, for the refugee. All of these are front lines that the people of God were to live in this kingdom culture. And so the laws that were given by God to the people were so that they would live better scattered and dispersed in the world. So that a new society, a new culture could come. The culture of the kingdom of God. And that purpose was to create a love God, love neighbor culture. And a love God, love neighbor society the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We find this in Jesus restating this again a little further on in Matthew's gospel, when he's approached by an expert in the law who tests him with this question, "'Teacher, which is the commandment in the law?' Jesus replied, "'Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind.'" This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What he's saying is, as you look back on the the history of the Old Testament, and you read all the laws, which are about how we live as the people of God out in the world, Jesus says I have to come come to, to fulfill that. But you can sum it up in these two ways. Love God, love your neighbor. All these other laws can be fulfilled in those words. Love God, love your neighbor. And when the people in the Old Testament turned from God and when they decided not to follow the laws, then God sent prophets. And what did the prophets do? The prophets then reminded them. They reminded them of the law that they had fallen away from the shalom reign of God. They'd forgotten the love God, love neighbor principles. And as a result, their culture and their society disintegrated. So God sent them prophets to remind them, to call them back to God and his shalom reign. And so when you read the prophets, they also cover things like relationships, family, neighbors, business, work, caring for others, the refugee, those in poverty. That's what God calls us to. Molding culture on our front lines that is dominated by a love God, love neighbor culture. And this love God, love neighbor culture would impact and influence every section of society so that families lived with each other in the harmony and sanctuary of God's shalom rule. That relationships and neighborhoods would flourish under the harmony of God's shalom. That business and government would transact and exercise with fairness, with honesty, with generosity under God's good, peaceful shalom rule. Rather than injustice, rather than deception, Rather than greet, it would be love God, love neighbor culture. And that would bless not just the people of God, but that would bless the nation and the nations. That it would be a witness to other nations about God's peaceful, good reign. And so the prophets even talk about in Isaiah 49 that we are to become a light to the nations. And so Jesus says, You are the light. Wherever you go, you are the light. Bring and mold those cultures under the kingdom of God's peaceful, love-filled, that reign. The people of God have a way of doing things round here, wherever they are, that is shaped by the beauty and harmony of God's kingdom of this love God, love neighbor culture. Mark Green writes, the primary shapers of any culture should be first, a total commitment to loving God. And as we were singing one of the songs earlier, much as we long for revival, for God to move and sweep across our nation. I don't know if you noticed also in that song That it calls the people of god to cost and to sacrifice not just we go on our own way doing our own thing but it costs us as well and our commitment to loving god and our neighbor can be costly and second a total commitment to loving people created in god's image a commitment therefore to seeking their best seeking their blessing and flourishing In that regard, the primary test of any culture, national, organizational, or familial, are does this culture honor God and does it seek God's best, God's shalom for all its people? A family ruled by a bullying parent fails the test. An organization run for the benefit of its bosses and not its employees and customers and fellow citizens fails in the test. A nation interested only in the prosperity of its own people fails the test. The culture of the kingdom of God. Love God. Love your neighbor. And when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, this is what he means. The everyday life we live is not ordinary even when it's ordinary. It's the places where we mold culture as salt and as light in the world. We live out who we are, our identity, as love God, love neighbor people. This is who you are in every place, at every time, whether at home, with our families, with friends, in your places of work, with neighbors, in a voluntary capacity, in our recreational or social lives, online, social media, we are molders of the culture. Are we doing it well? Are we doing it badly? And as our lives are influenced by this kingdom culture, this Jesus way of doing things, it can begin to influence the microcultures that we are in the places where we are every day of our life. We mold culture. Now, I don't know if that's a revelation for you or not, because a lot of people think it's others that are molding the culture. But actually, our presence in a place will mold that place one way or another. We can choose to do nothing. You're helping mold that culture by doing nothing. Or not doing molds culture. Our not speaking molds culture, but also gives the opportunity for us to do things in ways that reflect the love God, love neighbor value of the kingdom of God. And so we have opportunity not to just say, well, that's the way it is. That's awful defeatist. That's not a faith-filled, hope-filled posture for the people of God, but to say, in what ways do we mold those microcultures that we are in wherever we are from day to day. And so that fourth M is molding culture, molding culture. And Jesus uses images of salt and light as he talks about who we are. Salt was used for many purposes as a preservative to stop food rotting, as flavoring to enhance flavors, as fertilizer to create, to enable fruitfulness, Light is a metaphor that highlights the fact that in dark places, not only does light reveal what is there, but offers a new perspective for everyone. We're to be salt and light to bring something of the flavor of God's kingdom to the places we are. Something of the light of God that at times Shows the way of how we should be. I, I like him. I don't often. I like the message verse, and I don't often preach from it. But I like the way it sometimes captures verses, and I think the way it catches these verses are really helpful. It says this: Let me tell you why you are here. I mean, just your purpose in life. While well, you're here on earth, every day, every moment of every day, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors on this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and when will end up in the garbage. I just pause there. Isn't that a beautiful that we have the opportunity to bring God flavors to the places you are from one day to the next? That's a gift. And as we take that responsibility and that calling seriously, we start to shape the places we are. And it goes on the translation. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, don't you think I'm going to, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine, keep open house, Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. God flavors, God colors, salt and light. For better or for worse, we all contribute to the culture. And we can all challenge or change the cultures we are part of. So here's some examples. Sometimes we do this in just steady, subtle ways from day to day as we serve people ourselves, wherever we are, in our front lines, our our homes, our workplaces, where we do our voluntary work, where we socialize, our recreational uh, stuff that we do. We demonstrate a different value than is normal to the wider culture. We bring a God value. We bring the God flavors. We bring the God colors to them. So, um, in the book Fruitfulness in the Frontline, there's all kinds of stories, but I read the story of Diane. Diane was uh, in charge of a team in her workplace, Uh, and the team was was fine, it was doing fine, but she was aware that they weren't quite working together with each other, and in a way that helped and enhanced what each other were doing. Diane's a Christian. She thought, what What is the solution to this? What is the kingdom solution to all of this? And uh, and Diane loved to bake. Uh, So Diane, as the team leader, decided that uh, she would start to bake a cake once a week, and they would just have once a week, a little bit of time where she would bring in a cake, have some coffee, invite them in, time out from work, and they would just relax and talk to each other about life. And they were shocked by what she had done But they began to talk to one another, not about business, but about life, and about how things were going. And gradually, other people who thought this was a great idea, it was helpful that Diane was a good baker, by the way. (laughs) But then others began to say, well, we could do this, so why don't we do this? And they took responsibility. And over the course of a few weeks and months, she began to sense a change in the atmosphere of the workplace. They began to be more aware of each other, understand each other. They found out a little more about some of the struggles that they carried in their lives beyond the workplace that helped them live better and work better with each other. Culture shifted in the simplicity. Now, from Diane's point of view, she got an insight into the lives of those colleagues in her team. And she was able to minister in different ways in her life. In her into their lives because of that. But there was a culture shift There was something of the kingdom of God that did something in the team that were there. Or I've heard about some people who intentionally make listening spaces for people in their community or in their family, in their neighborhood, or colleagues, where they create spaces just to invite people to come and talk not about anything in particular, just to come and talk. Or your friends at school or at university, making time just to listen, to hear. Everybody wants to do so much talking at one another, but to listen and hear. Perhaps spontaneously or informally in a moment, we can have a kingdom response to something. Uh, Pete Gregg in... in, uh, Uh, His book, How to Pray, talks about operating or living in an opposite spirit from the regular culture. So when there's a culture of people holding grudges in your front lines, family, neighborhood, workplace, you you operate on the opposite spirit. Generous forgiveness. We're not meant to be a people who hold grudges. So when we're in a workplace or a family situation where people are holding grudges, we operate in the opposite spirit. We forgive. We generously forgive. We love in spite of whatever is happening. Grace takes place. And so spontaneously, we might react to something in a God-culture way that might take people by surprise. Where there's a culture of gossip and backbiting. We choose to speak words of encouragement and blessing. Ask God to help you. I can't imagine that there's nobody here who hasn't been in a workplace situation or a a community or neighborhood situation where the culture has been toxic. Well, it needs somebody to bring something of, of the culture of the kingdom to mold that situation. Ask God to help you. And then respond in God ways, in God colors, in God flavors. The apostle Paul talks about this when he says in Romans 12, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't be squeezed into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's it saying? When our mind is renewed with the Jesus culture, the culture of the kingdom of God, we then begin to know how to respond. We know what God's will is in our frontline places. We don't get squeezed into the mold of the wider culture, but we form, we mold culture by the ways in which we respond. And these, when done faithfully over and over again, can begin to change the atmosphere of a place Perhaps some of you are in charge of um, how the culture in your office works or your workplace. People are looking to you to shape it. Ask yourself the question, how am I going to do that? How am I going to shape the place that I'm responsible for? How will I do it responsibly, well, respectfully, but also to bring God's shalom reign into this place? What's the way? that we do things around here. We read this earlier on when we prayed, that we would seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Well, something of what God calls us to is changing the way the city works, changing the way that the places you are from day to day operate by molding the culture. So here's some questions worth asking again from the course book fruitfulness on the front line how can we as it says in jeremiah 29 7 not only pray for but also seek the shalom the peace and prosperity of the front line god has called us to so i just pause there i want you to close your eyes we did this last week i want you to do it again i want you to to pick one of your front lines Either your home, family situation, your neighborhood, or your workplace, or the place you volunteer, or your social recreational life, even your online life. I want you to ask that question. How can I seek the peace and prosperity of that front line? How can I mold culture there? Just pick one of them. Picture people, the way it works. How do things work there? And then ask God to reveal to you, how could I mold the culture there? With the peaceful, good, loving kingdom of God. The love God, love neighbor culture. How can we be salt and light? How will we live and respond to people? What will we do intentionally to express the God flavors and the God colors of the kingdom? Who do you struggle with? Who are the ones who hold grudges? Who are the isolated ones? Where are the places where destruction happens? How can you influence there? And if people look to you to set the culture, how will you do it in respectful ways? that bring about the beauty of the culture of the kingdom of God. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Let your light shine before others. Well, let me say these last few things. I'm aware that not everyone will find this easy. I'm also aware that when we are seeking to live for Christ in our front lines, it can be difficult. I live and operate in the world of the church, and most people tend to agree with the fact that this is a good thing. I get that. You don't. You live in places where people disagree with your Christian faith, where you oppose you for your Christian faith. They might even persecute you because you're a Christian. But yet you sense that God still calls us to be salt and light in those places. And so what do we do when there's opposition and indeed persecution? When we as Christians are living our Christian life on the front lines, when we face those type of things. Do we just abandon this living out or molding culture with the kingdom of God we just say well I'll not do it then not at all we're still called to it so let me just say three things as we close when we're facing opposition or indeed persecution because of our faith perhaps because of something we've done or said for Christ or because of ways in which we've acted there's three things sometimes there's a time for caution We don't always say and do things for Jesus in the best way. So sometimes there's a time for caution to pause and to pray and to reflect. Maybe share with other Christians that we know and pray with them. and Maybe what we did we maybe just didn't do in the right way. Or maybe we just need to be a little moment of caution to say, Lord, help me to know how to do this well. Give me sensitivity to the situation here. So there is a time to, be, to exert caution and to pray and to seek God and perhaps to bring some others in to help you navigate it. And that's okay. But it's not, it doesn't mean that we just forget about molding culture. Oh, I did it once and it didn't work. But we just need to withdraw and pray and seek God and rethink Sometimes there's a time for courage that it's not easy to take our stand for Christ, but you might sense it's the right thing to do. And for those of you who are in places of leadership, if there are ways in which you're operating in business that are contrary to the ways of God's kingdom, then we need to make changes there in our business life and our business practice. If there's injustice, in the way we do business. If there's any exploitation in the way we do business, we need to be courageous and make changes in those places. In the places of business, we need to be thinking about how, if I'm responsible for the shaping of this organization, am I going to do that in a way that is honoring to God? There's a time for courage, and then there's a time for change. And I mean by that, sometimes when we've been in a place for a long time, or even if we've been in a short time, there may be a time where we say it's time to change and go somewhere else. Time for me to remove myself. You know, some jobs and some places of work don't contribute to the shalom, peace of the kingdom of God. And a way will be that some of us have to think about a change that was my journey out of finance. Not that I'm saying anyone who's in finances, but my journey out of finance was because I could no longer agree with the culture that was in place in the place that I worked, which was all about money and nothing about people. That's just not right. That's not kingdom. And so I removed myself from that place and changed to something else. If you're in a place, or even if in your own self, It's all about money, not people. Something needs to change. Something needs to change. And so reflect on that. If you're under persecution or being oppressed for it, is it a time for caution? Retreat, pray, seek God, talk to others. Is it a time for courage? Actually, we need to do something. Or is it a time for change? Maybe I need to find something different to do with my life. We're going to read a prayer together as we finish and invite the worship team uh, to come up as we do so. Do you know what? I don't think I put the prayer on the slide. So I'm going to pray the prayer for you. Would you stand with us? God is calling you, all of you, wherever you are, whatever you do, to become modelers and molders of this kingdom culture. Let's change the way things are. Let's just not, let's not resign ourselves to the way things are. Are you not done with just resigning ourselves to the way things are? Let's be kingdom molders wherever we are. So let me pray. Father, May my front line become a place of joy. May my front line become a place of justice. May my front line become a place of shalom, of peace. Give me ears to hear how I might pray. Eyes to see what you would have me do. And wisdom to do it in your ways. For your glory. Amen.